Hey, 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 how's it going out there, my mushroom lovers? Oliver Carlin here, and I'm the Mushroom Man. I'm about to jump into a podcast with Barbara Batikova, who's got over 100,000 views on Instagram of her amazing photography of mushrooms while she's out foraging and hunting and cooking mushrooms. And we're gonna be talking about, as a beginner who's interested in doing stuff like um, hunting mushrooms or, or cooking mushrooms, how do you go about that if you're just getting started and why would you even be interested in hunting for mushrooms? And the most important question of all, how do you avoid that poisonous mushroom? So the big question is this, with over 10,000 different species of mushrooms, how do people that want to benefit from their various medicinal properties accurately identify them in the wild, grow them at home, or make them taste delicious without having to read confusing medical reports and possibly eating a poisonous look-alike by mistake? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Oliver Carlin, and welcome to Curative Mushroom. All right, cool. So um, we are live now. This is the Curative Mushroom podcast. Um, thank you so much, Barbara, for joining us. Um, thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Barbara um, Batakova is with me, and she. I've just so um, I've looked at the photos she she does, and I mean, you blow me away with like the photos are amazing. They're beautiful. I mean, they're incredible. And when I looked at some of the recipes you had, oh my gosh, like those look so delicious, like. Oh my goodness. I want to go to that restaurant and just sit down and pay like hundreds of dollars to eat it. It looks oh amazing. That would be, that would be a dream come true for sure. <laughs> but now really what I want to do is I just, I'd like to um, ask you to tell your story and like, how did this all start with you? Um, right now, I know you're, you're, um, you develop quite of a, a following and, but I'd like to go back and to the beginning and where does this all start for you? Um, and how did you get into your love? You clearly have a love for mushrooms, but how did you get into to mushrooms originally? Yeah, so I grew up in the Czech Republic. And so I uh, that's where my love for mushrooms um, started because unlike the US, which is mycophobic, um, you know, here people are afraid of mushrooms and it's, it's not really a thing like people do, even though <laughs> there's been a huge boom with mushroom foraging and mushroom hunting and, and, you know, specifically about like medicinal mushrooms, but also for sort of sustainability uh, purposes, sort of reducing the amount of meat that we eat and, and eat um, more healthy. But um, so that's where it started uh, because Czech Republic, unlike the US, is a mycophilic country. And in the Czech Republic, mushroom hunting is actually what we sometimes call a national sport. I mean, everybody does it. Everybody oh. does mushroom hunting. That is a family affair. And, you know, as soon as sort of the, the first summer rains sort of start, that's when people like start hitting the woods and, and they, they go and bring beautiful and very delicious mushrooms back home with them. So my family, uh, we have an ancestral home in the country. And so uh, there's woods right behind us. And so that's what I would do when I was a little kid with my mom and with my grandma. We would go 
mushroom hunting into the woods behind our summer house. And that's where I started to learn about mushrooms. And then, you know, sort of life happened. So I started uh, going to college. I, I came to the U.S. for my undergrad and then I went to graduate school. And then I became, uh, you know, I became a, a working professional and I became working on my design career as a user experience designer and, and a product uh, manager as well. And I sort of, you know, this was around 2018, late uh, 2017, early 2018. Mm -hmm. I sort of like hit this, this spot in my, in my life where I was, I sort of achieved a lot of the goals that I have been working towards in the past 10 years. And I was in a really good spot with my career. And it was perhaps a bit unexciting. And also the political climate was changing a lot. And I was kind of getting lost in living in the US, but being Czech. And um, there was a lot of dissonance that I was experiencing sort of between the values that I had as a person and the values that were being expressed by the country I was living in and I was trying to become a part of. And so I, I felt that I needed to get grounded again. I started to miss my family a lot. I started to miss the countryside, our ancestral home. And so I grabbed my camera. I studied photography uh, in my undergrad and I just went into the local park because I, I didn't have a car at the time, which is not good if you're trying to, if you live in the city and you're trying to go into the woods, um, it's kind of difficult. And, you know, Uber drivers kind of look at you really funny where you're asking them to like drop you off in the middle of the woods. I'm like, Are you sure? It's like, yeah, I'm sure I'll be okay. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure, please drop me off here. So, um, but anyway, started started going to a local park and started photographing mushrooms here. So I had a lot of sort of bases from the Czech Republic, a lot of knowledge of mushrooms there and a lot of traditions and mm. sort of family, um, family gatherings um, around that. And then I kind of lost it. And then I rediscovered it here in the US in Pennsylvania mm. when I started to sort of ground myself again and getting out into the woods and sort of recharging my batteries and and um, I started posting my photos on Instagram. And then it just, as I was learning about the mushrooms, I was also adding that information to my photos. And then it just sort of took off like wildfire. Mm. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of the general journey there. Oh, I see. I see. So, <clears throat> so you, you said your ancestral home, which mm -hmm. was in the Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. in the country mm -hmm. and i seen a picture of that i believe i went to your website and i seen that house and it looks really cool it was yeah. like surrounded by trees mm -hmm. and um and so you you would go as a kid you would go what behind the property or something and um and you would just look for mushrooms that's what that was just normal to do that yep. that's just normal that's what you would do over the weekends or even people would sort of drive from the city um, out into the countryside and, and go mushroom hunting. Because unlike here, uh, in the Czech Republic, you can go forage pretty much anywhere. Even mm -hmm. if it's a private forest, private land, um, you can still go and forage on that land. Um, mm -hmm. and as opposed to here, it's a lot more restrictive. You kind of have to look up the foraging laws 
and um, uh, you know the there, only there's, so there's there's foraging laws in America. <laughs> like, what's the foraging laws? Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just when I go when I go hiking, I just harvest mushrooms. I didn't know there was laws. <laughs> yeah, no, like maybe you're so so sometimes in national parks, like some will allow you to forage for mushrooms. Some won't. Um, Okay. Um, for example, in Pennsylvania or well, in Pittsburgh, um, oh, there's my cat. Say hello, Trudy. Um, oh, hey, Trudy. Yeah. <laughs> um, she she's she's beautiful. Anyways. So uh, what was I talking about? Um, foraging laws. So in Pittsburgh, for example, you cannot forage in city parks. Or mm. some state parks you can forage, but um, you know, the, it, either it says so or it's kind of vague. And a lot of the laws will also or, or guidelines or sort of I don't know what they call them. Yeah. Park park rules, maybe is a better word. Um, okay. They they don't mention, you know, mushrooms at all, uh, which which sometimes mm -hmm. is good because then if they're talking about plants and if they're talking about rocks, uh, then, you know, fungi are a separate kingdom. So I'm like, I'm good there. So. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So, so then, so you would go foraging in, um, as a kid and that's kind of where this started for you. You started to develop, um, I guess a passion and it just started like, what was your favorite thing? What did you have like a favorite mushroom or. You would just go and just harvest them to eat them. Like what? What was? What were you doing? Yeah, I mean the, the the primary reason you do mushroom foraging or you go into the woods for mushrooms in the Czech Republic is to eat them. Gotcha. Uh, I don't think there is as much of a medicinal sort of following for mushrooms as it is kind of becoming here in the U.S. Um, in the Czech Republic, it's it's just part of culture. It's just part of what people do, and it's for food. It's for culinary purposes. So there's a lot of traditional recipes that call for mushrooms. Um, mm -hmm. There's, for example, a, uh, a very, you know, traditional recipe with black trumpets that with mm -hmm. Cratorellus cornucopioides, which is this um, really inedible looking mushroom. It kind of looks dead, decomposed, decayed. Uh -huh. um, it's this like black funnel uh, that kind of looks like a hole in the ground and they're really kind of hard to find, but they are one of the most delicious mushrooms uh, out oh, wow. there. And one of the traditional South Bohemian Christmas dishes is made with those mushrooms that you would find in the fall and you would dry them and then you would use them during Christmas to, to bake this traditional barley, barley dish. So Mm. Um, yeah, a recipe is on my website there. So anybody's interested in that. It's also very healthy, full of garlic, barley, mushrooms. I mean, you know. What was that mushroom called again? Um, it's called a black trumpet. Oh, black uh, trumpet. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, or Crotorellus cornucopioides. Um, yeah, it's sometimes called the trumpet of death, actually, but it has really? nothing to do with edibility. Yeah, I, I was actually just researching that right now because um, I'm actually writing a book about mushrooms that will come out in the spring of 2024. Oh, and cool. I was just researching that. It's the 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 French name, uh, Trompette de la Mort, uh, or the, the you know trumpet of death, 
has actually nothing to do with the edibility, but it has to do with the All Saints Day, which is in November. And that's when the black trumpets would usually uh, come out. And then um, that's how they got their name. There's, there's a lot more to it, but um, you can read that in my book in the spring. So, uh, yeah. So what's this book? Is it a foraging book or is it a cooking book? Or Because I know you do multiple things. You do yeah. photography, you do foraging and cooking. So what will yeah. this book be? It's, a, it's, it's, um, it's basically a combination of all of those things. So oh. it's an introduction to fungi. Um, it's an introduction to foraging. It will include uh, a lot of sort of diagrams and shapes of this like you know, how all these guidebooks will use the terms in mycologies like infundibuliform and like all this stuff. And it's like, what is that? You know, so you always have to look it up um, on Google or things like that. And so when I was starting to sort of more precisely describe or notice mushrooms, I was mm -hmm. always wondering, like, I want to have a place um, that has all this information sort of neatly organized. And, and I'm an information designer as well. So this kind of seemed like I should do this. So mm. I, so that will be in the book. Uh, all the different sort of stem shapes, cap shapes, different oh, textures, cool. um, all that good stuff. So that'll be there. And then I'm hoping to introduce people to 11 groups of mushrooms, like chanterelles, bolites, um, amanitas, uh, jelly fungi, puffballs. And then I'm profiling sort of 28 mushrooms more in depth and i'm weaving in my stories my personal stories from the czech republic and from pennsylvania um, into that as well and of course it will include all my photographs so i'm i'm super excited it's a lot of work but um yeah. i'm very excited about it so how long have you been working on the book so far so i have worked on it since early january like officially yeah. But um, I started writing like sample chapters in October. So it's been a while. It's been a while. I think I'm, I'm about halfway through uh, of the writing. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it always feels good to get past halfway, right? You're like, yeah. thanks for yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm closing in. <laughs> almost there. Almost there. Well, great, great. When can people expect that book to be out? So that'll come out sometime in the spring of 2024. 2024. Wow. So they, we got to wait on that yes. one. Yes. So I still have a bit more to write. So, you know, mm -hmm. my manuscript is due in July. And then I have to compile all the photography. So that'll take some time. And then, you know, the publisher will lay out the book. And then it gets get, gets get printed. So, yeah. It'll be here before we know it. At okay, least. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Whenever you get your first copy, I'd love to get one. That would yeah, be awesome. Sure, to check sure. out. <clears throat> uh, I, I really love that. We do foraging um, in my family. Um, I call it hiking with benefits because oh, nice. I was always a hiker. Yeah. And then once I started getting into mushrooms and it was like I started noticing them everywhere because I hike in the woods. Mm -hmm. And now it just made hiking funner. Like now I get to hike and look for mushrooms and it just it's just really enjoyable <laughs> yeah it's it's so true because i think you know there's so many benefits to 
to mushroom foraging and whether you kind of look at it from the hiking perspective or, you know, even forest bathing. I mean, just that practice of getting into the woods and disconnecting from our screens. I mean, that was also something I was I was looking into doing because, you know, I I am a person who cannot do meditation. I have tried. It's not something I can do. But I can walk in the woods and not look mm. at my phone and I can turn. That, my that's phone. like meditation. That's like it walking is, meditation. Is. There is an article on that somewhere that I read, which finally for me confirmed like, okay, you don't have to feel bad if you can't meditate and you can still get those benefits by walking yeah. in the woods and yeah. doing forest bathing uh, because there's just, it's a whole different environment than what we're used to, especially for people that work you know, in front of a computer in an office in a corporate yeah. environment. And so, yeah. And then, you know, you get the steps in, you get beautiful nature, you get all the smells and uh, the textures and the green. And it's just a very holistic, I think, practice. And it's something I, I really look forward to doing every weekend. It's like, a, it's like yeah. a cleansing ritual for me. And then on top of that, if you can bring back delicious mushrooms, yeah, exactly. What's more to what's what's not to like? And some of these mushrooms are so delicious, right? Yeah. Like my my first mushroom that I ever harvested that I took home to eat mm-hmm. was chicken of the woods. Yeah. We we harvested the massive thing as we're like, we're golfing on the golf course. Oh yeah. And we look over, and we're about to tee off, and we see this big bright orange mushroom growing. And my dad's yeah. like, "Oh, there's chicken of the woods." He knew what it was. I didn't know. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is delicious. I was like, delicious? This is a bright orange thing? And anyway, we took it home and sauteed it. And mm-hmm. oh my goodness, that was so delicious. Yes. And nobody got sick? Nobody got sick. That's good. That's good. <laughs> as, as much as the, the chicken of the woods is delicious and easy to identify, which makes it a great uh, beginner's uh, mushroom, some people may still get sick from it, even though it's cooked well. Like my mom, for example, is one of those people. She cannot eat chicken of the woods. Oh, really? Like, it makes her sick. Yeah, there's just something. And she has eaten like mushrooms. Astro, like stomach upset? Yeah, just GI upset. It's just kind of like heavy in your stomach and, you know, you may need to vomit or whatever. But, um, yeah, so that's good because chicken of the woods is delicious. And mm. I feel bad for anybody that gets sick from it. So... So what's your favorite mushroom? Oh, that, you that, like is a, that is such a hard question. But <laughs> I, think, I think I'm going to have to go with um, chanterelles. And chanterelles. Well, I can't even pick between them. So there's like three major types of chanterelles, right, that we, we can talk about. So you have the golden chanterelles, which are sort of the the more meaty uh, mushrooms. And when you kind of slice them in half, they are not hollow. And Mm -hmm. they are the ones that, you know, we often say like smell of apricots. And they're they're just sort of these like, you know, fruity. You can use them for both savory dishes, but also you can make ice cream with chanterelles. Um, So so those are good. Like Mm -hmm. those are just, you know, I mean, I could eat that every day, just sauteed on like toast with eggs and ricotta all day long. Um, mm, you can't go wrong. So it's like, <laughs> before you start, you know, there, there's every time there's a really good season um, of chanterelles, there's there's a period of time where I will just eat them sauteed. I wouldn't do anything else with mm. them. Like just with like a piece of bread or just like 
just a little bit of maybe pasta and some cream sauce, but mm. I don't want to destroy them, right? Because they're so precious and I want to like eat them like that. And then if there's like a lot more, then you kind of start getting a little bit more creative. But mm. so those are these. But then you also have yellowfoot chanterelles. Um, so Craterellus tubeformis. And those are those are tiny. Those are kind of like this big, maybe something oh. like that big. But they have a yellow foot and they have a brown cap. I want to ask you something about chanterelles real quick. So yeah. I had, we had, when I go hiking in the woods, I'm in Virginia and we okay. go hiking in the woods here and there's these little tiny orange, there'll be a bunch of them, mm -hmm. these little orange things. And they, they go off and they look just like a, like the chanterelles, but they're okay. like this big. They're like an inch tall. <laughs> And, and they're, they're tiny, they're like a miniature chanterelle. What are those? Have you seen those? Well, are those bright orange or are those like yellowy orange? Mm, I think they're more orange. They're like a bright orange, I think. Like almost red? Um, I can't remember now. I think so. There's, there's a lot of species of chanterelles, but oh, it's not a no. chanterelle. I mean, the two that come to mind is either um, Cantharellus minor, which is like a, you know, a small chanterelle and they are tiny. They're, you know, they're kind of not worth like even picking because. Yeah, it was like super tiny. Maybe so tiny. And then there is this like scarlet red, not like, not as scarlet as like scarlet elf cups. It's not as bright as that, but it's like a very deep orange. And those are the cinnabar chanterelles. And those are also usually quite like, you know, not substantial enough to, to pick, but mm -hmm. there's a couple, I'll put them, you know, they look good in an omelet or something like that. So, gotcha, gotcha. so I, I, can eat those, I can eat those little ones, those little yeah. orange ones. Well, Hey, I can't tell because I don't know what you're talking about. So I, can't <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you, have to, you have to like, actually, I, that's a good question. Right. Cause I get that question all the time. Like, People want to know, I think, is this edible? And yeah. they show you like a picture of the top of the mushroom and you'll be like, that could be anything, right? <laughs> yeah. So I I like to think, yeah, there's there, there's like two points that, that I want to talk about. So it's really important to only eat mushrooms that you're 100% sure of their identification. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that if it is a chanterelle, indeed, um, it is edible. There are no poisonous chanterelles out there. So if you know it's a chanterelle, you're good to go. Um, but I am also not a mycologist. So this is the latest information I have. And that's what I go by with. But, you know, it's it's kind of with, with mushrooms and edibility. Um, you kind of have to rely on also the collective knowledge of people and the place around you. I think that's very important. Because, for example, in the Czech Republic, I grew up mushroom hunting for red poured, blue staining bolites, right? Mm. Neobolitis lordiformis, the scarlatina bolete, mm. which for a very long time in the U.S., there was a myth that was sort of perpetuated by a lot of mushroom guides that you cannot eat any red poured, blue staining bolites. Oh, really? And while that's for the majority of the cases, it's true because some of the red poured blue staining bullets are poisonous. There is one death 
um, that's currently documented in the U.S. from a particular um, bullet. And there's there's 13 bullets that can make you sick in the U.S. And most of them are red poured. They have red pores on the underside. And then when you slice them in half, they will stain blue. Okay. Um, but, you know, not all red poured blue staining bullets are poisonous. Some of them are edible. For example, the red mouth bullet, uh, the Boletus subvelutipes, uh, which actually Gary Linkoff loved eating that bullet. And I have eaten it once because I had the ID confirmed by longtime mushroom hunters here in Pennsylvania. Mm. But I would never on mm -hmm. my own eat any red poured blue staining bullets that I would find here in Pennsylvania, uh, even if I was like a hundred percent sure. Uh, <laughs> I just don't have the collective knowledge mm -hmm. of my family, of my ancestors and the place because mm -hmm. I know that that's where the mushroom grows. We've eaten it for over a hundred years and right. that's it. like, we know this mushroom intimately, yeah. but I don't have that here in the U S I am just now building that knowledge. And so, so that's a big piece of sort of eating mushrooms as well, you know, for some of the more like more difficult ones to identify. Like if we're talking chanterelles, you know, that's a different story of like chicken of the woods or hen of the woods. Like these are easier mushrooms to. Right. Eat. Yeah. They, they're a lot different, right? Than yes, most mushrooms. Of course. But once you're starting to get into and especially into guild mushrooms, right, that have, um, those are some of the ones that can actually kill you. Um, so that, the guild one, the guild ones have more poisonous. Yeah. Um, so yes, them, yes, yes. The guild ones are the more frequently poisonous. So, so the, the only, so the bullied ones, there's only one that kind of killed a person that's been documented here in the U S and that was the red staining bullied, um, I think it was the, so it's the Rubroboletus genus. That's the one you want to look that one up, but not all of them. Anyways, look it up. But um, the guild mushrooms are a lot more dangerous. And there's some mushroom foragers that won't touch a guild mushroom because it's just so dangerous um, or can be dangerous if you're not paying attention. But it all comes down to observation skills and right sort of the collective knowledge of the people and the place around you from where you're picking those mushrooms. So if you know that a particular mushroom, you know, doesn't usually grow here and, you know, you know what to expect, you know what to find. But of course, doesn't mean that the habitat doesn't change and that some mushrooms will suddenly start, you know, popping up where they're not supposed to. I mean, that yeah. literally happened with the deadliest mushroom, Amanita phalloides, right? The death cap, who is now an invasive species in California and the West Coast and all over the world because it's been imported there with trees. Um. And so now Amanita phalloides grows in parks and residential areas oh. because, um, you know, so, so it's mm. important to know the place and the ecology and, and just, just being observant and really knowing some of the characteristics of the mushrooms and just starting mm. slow, you know, starting slow and then building your knowledge up uh, from some of the easier ones 
like chanterelles because those don't have gills nor pores. They kind of have these wrinkles on the underside. Mm. To, you know, chicken of the woods, hen of the woods. Um, what's another easy one? Um, uh, dryad saddle, for example, that's like a spring polypore that will start to grow very soon here on the East Coast. So that's edible as well. You know, morels. Um, yeah, isn't it? It's almost morel season, right? Almost, almost. Yeah. <laughs> like the Super Bowl. It's like a big. That's like a big event, like nationwide, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I keep see, I keep seeing like already Facebook posts here and there with like you know these like tiny little morels there. It's like <laughs> they were almost there, but like not quite. Yeah, here in Pennsylvania, I think they start, or or in southwestern Pennsylvania, they kind of start at the end of April. End of um, April. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then but the one thing I want to say about the edibility of mushrooms, that was kind of the whole, the second point of what you were talking about right, yeah. is that I tend to think about mushrooms on a spectrum. So you kind of have the deadly poisonous ones, right? So those are the toxic ones. You obviously Which, don't the deadly poisonous ones would be like the death cap or yep. the destroying angels. Yep. Yep. Or yep. what's another one? Those are the main two I think of. Yeah. Or yeah. Like the false, the false morels, but those ones are kind of like. Yeah. So the false morels are an interesting one because then um, those are what I would call conditionally edible. So mm. there are mushrooms and actually morels are some of them are, are one of those too. They're actually, if you eat morel that is undercooked or you eat it raw, you mm. will get sick. Like you will get a massive gas. So you can't you can't eat a raw morel. It has to be cooked. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's actually true for some of the false morels as well. But this is where it's important to actually talk and use their scientific names because there are multiple uh, false morels. And the mm -hmm. most famous one is the Gyromitra esculenta, which mm -hmm. actually, funnily enough, the specific epithet esculenta means edible. Mm. But um, <laughs> so that one actually has a history of being eaten in Finland um, for oh, wow. centuries. But the trick is you have to parboil it twice. Mm. And because the toxins in that mushroom are not thermostable, so they're destroyed by the heat and the cooking process. Um, oh, but wow. then they, and they are water soluble. So they so when you parboil them, the toxins kind of, I, I am not a biologist or, or a chemist or anything like that. So excuse my simplification of the process here, but the, all the bad stuff is in the water. So then you dump the water and mm -hmm. then you do it again. And then you dump the water again and then dry them. And then you can supposedly eat even Jeremitra esculenta, which is, you know, in a lot of the mushroom guides uh, marked as uh, toxic. So wait a minute now. So you're saying you you just boil it twice. Like mm -hmm. how long you have to boil it a certain amount of time or you do. I don't have the details. Um, okay. If you're if you're watching this and you're trying to do this, you have to research this more. You need more information than what I'm currently giving you. I am just saying that this is that, that is possible. It has been done in countries. I think some people here in the US have done it as well. The same process people actually do with Amanita muscaria, the fly agaric. 
which is psychotropic and you know hallucinogenic and all that stuff and i so that's, think that's an interesting one because mm-hmm. i microdose with amanita muscaria that okay the way the way i do it i harvest it it grows all around my property oh, and i'll awesome. harvest them and i'll dry them out yeah and i was told i was told this i said they said don't eat it raw they said no. you have to they said you have to dry it first or something because that does something to the yes. alkaline i don't know something and and now it's not going to mess up my stomach or something. Is that right? Yeah. So I I don't know the exact process of what happens when you dry a Manita muscaria. But, yeah. you know, it has muscarine, it has uh, musimol, and then ibotanic acid. And all of these are... Um, are not thermostable, which is why if you boil it twice, you can then eat it. And I believe David Aurora has done that. I think oh, he okay. has talked about that multiple times. Um, so that's another one you can boil twice. Yes. And- but again, like, do you need to do that? You don't. There's plenty other mushrooms to eat that are right, safer right. without sort of those <laughs> without all the real- layers right. of, of things. So, <laughs> Yes, while it's technically possible <laughs> to do so, uh, you know, it's not, I would not recommend doing that because, you know, mushrooms and the level of toxins are variable based on season, time of year, like um, the place, you know, it, it's just very variable. And so how do you know you're going to boil it enough? Um, I don't know. Maybe there is like a, you know, maybe there is like a true recipe for that, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I'm sure there is. And I'm sure that, you know, like the, from like a chemistry perspective, I'm sure that at some point, like you, you would, somebody would probably be able to say like, if you boil it for an hour, right. you're good. I just don't have that information, but, um, but actually a lot of the other false morales, like um, Jeremitra caroliniana, the big red, or the uh, Jeremitra corfii or gigas, those are all edible mushrooms if you if you cook them long enough. So like, oh okay, yeah, like morels, same way. Um, because if you eat a raw morel, you're gonna get sick too. So what? How long should you cook a morel to make sure that you're not gonna get an upset stomach? Yeah, I would say probably at least fifteen to twenty minutes. Oh, wow. So if, like, does that mean like if I'm sauteing it, I'll saute yeah. it for 15 mm-hmm. to 20 minutes? Wow. Okay. That's longer than I thought. I mean, just, just to be safe, you know, I, I never had a problem with morels. I think it's also kind of individual. It also depends how many morels you have in the pan. Like if you have one morale, it's going to be shorter, but if you have more mm-hmm. morels in there, it's going to take longer. So, you know, just, yeah, I don't think that there's really like a true recipe, you know, like, I mean, usually when you cook mushrooms, you're mm-hmm. not supposed to crowd them in the pan. And okay. so, so that they have room. And then that way, like you also get like really good uh, crispy edges. So, <laughs> so you don't want like, you know, soggy, mushy, like mushrooms. And then, you know, you want like the crispy brown, uh, brown pieces. That's the good stuff. So never crowd your mushrooms in the pan. And then if you do that, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes should be plenty of time, 15 to be on the safe side. That's what I would do. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Those are good tips. 
So, um, <clears throat> so when it comes to like foraging mushrooms, I know that I've seen like on your website, you have events and stuff like that you put on where yeah. people can come out and actually walk with you mm -hmm. to go foraging in the woods, right? In Pennsylvania, right? No, we don't go foraging. So we just oh. go and we just look at the mushrooms. Oh, okay. Just look at the mushrooms. Don't yeah. pick them. But you'll you'll help them look. Like, what does that mean to look at them? What are, you're helping them identify them or take pictures? So we're or? we're learning about the mushrooms and um, you know in their habitat. What is the ecology like? What is the role of the specific mushroom? Like, what can you expect to find in these woods at this particular time or in this particular environment? Mm -hmm. But we don't forage. It's because it's 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 you know, I mean, to be honest, it's legally very iffy because to take, you know, to take people on a, on a foraging walk. And then, you know, if we find mushrooms and then they take them home and they eat them and then they get sick, you know, it's, uh, it's just okay. kind of, so I will teach people about mushrooms. Well, plus I also don't want to give away my spots. You know what I mean? Like those take <laughs> time to find. Yeah, those, those are that. That's everything in the mushroom world, right? It like is. If you find a spot, it like really you is. have to guard that, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, you know, morale locations are passed on to like generations. You know, right. those, that's like a family secret. Um, no, but in all fairnessness, no, I just. You know, I'm I'm still finding you know the the great spots to forage here in Pennsylvania um, because you know in the Czech Republic I've been there most of my life and I know the spots and you know that's just something we did with the family but here I kind of have to do it all by myself I have to kind of see like where stuff is but if you join a, a mushroom club that is a huge um, that is a huge help I I joined the Western Pennsylvania Mushroom Club. And they do walks as well. So they don't do guided walks, but they kind of just, you know, we meet up and then we go off for like two hours and then we all come back with the finds and then we identify them. And that is a great way to learn and um, identify mushrooms in your area and really interact, you know, meet friends, interact with experts, mycologists, and just learn about the mushrooms in your area. So, so I would say, you know, if someone's really interested in, in starting like mushroom foraging or learning about mushrooms, I would say also find a local club um, in your area because that's going to be your best bet. And then you can also get your finds sort of confirmed and you can, you know, be sure that you're going to eat something that's not going to make you upset or anything. Yeah. Cause I think the biggest thing with, hunting mushrooms or foraging mushrooms is when you find the mushroom are you safe to eat it right that's got to be like the number one yeah. question i think because that's what's on my mind if i'm going mushroom hunting right now i'm not an expert in any way yeah but if i see a mushroom the first thing i'm wondering is okay even if i'm i think it's that mushroom that looks like a bullet i think it's edible mm -hmm. but man, when, when you're about to eat it, it's totally different. Cause you're like, every doubt passes through your mind. You're like, Oh, yeah. am I really sure that, yeah. I, that that's yeah. The <laughs> yeah. And I, I have experienced that when I was um, eating sort of false morels for the first time, I ate the Jaramitra Caroliniana, oh, which is okay. the big red. And um, yeah, I was like, I'm sure. Right. 
<laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and I did I did parboil them as well. So I was and, and you don't have to parboil uh, the big reds, but but I did just to just to be just to be just to be sure. Um, but yeah, there there's definitely like you, you gotta be hundred percent sure. And when you are trying a new mushroom, it's mm. always good to just eat like a, a tablespoon of it at first and then wait like an hour or so. Oh, okay. Make sure that it like sits well with you. That's a good idea, yeah. Because, because you know, like I said, with my mom, like my mom can't eat chicken of the woods, but she can eat any mm. other. Yeah, and that that's the one that doesn't bother me, but it could bother yeah. someone else. So that's a great exactly. tip, I think. Yes, yes. And, and the chicken of the woods is famous for that. Um, there's like a myth going on that if the chicken of the woods, so it usually grows on hardwoods, but if it grows on conifers, um, it will give people GI upset. Yeah, I've heard that. I've that, heard that. Is, yeah, I have heard reports of that. I can confirm that myself. But um, I know that people on the West Coast eat like conifer grown chicken of the woods or on eucalyptus trees. Oh, really? And they're fine. Yeah, okay. So I just I just think it just very much depends. I think like that mushroom, I, I don't know what exact like you know, compounds it has that like cause that, but it's, it's famous for that, for example. So, so even though the mushroom is edible and, uh, you know, it's marked as edible, it doesn't mean that you can actually tolerate that mushroom and can eat it. Um, fine. So it's always good to just try a little bit, wait like 30 to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour, and then, you know, perhaps eat more if it's your first time eating that particular mushroom. So now if someone's just starting out and wanting to get into mushroom foraging, mm -hmm. um, do you, you recommend that they, like you said, they seek out a group or something near them and don't, and if they're not sure, like, how do they make sure, like, if they're not sure that, let's say they found a mushroom, we get this question all the time. They found a mushroom and they're asking us to identify it for them. Mm -hmm. What should someone do if they're not like a hundred percent sure um, about a mushroom? Is there anything they can do or they just got to toss it or like, what can they do? Yeah, Toss it. Like, toss it? I okay. mean, <laughs> don't eat it. Right. Don't eat it. Okay. Don't eat it. So that's number one. But I think even if we, when you're starting to learn mushrooms in order to eat them, you're probably not going to eat them the first time you found them unless it's like something very obvious, you know, like a chanterelle or chicken of the woods, because you need to, and you're alone, like you're doing this by yourself. Then you have to build the knowledge of the mushroom being in a specific habitat. And so you can say like, Oh yeah, I always find this particular mushroom, like, like by the Creek, or I always find it under like conifer trees or I always find it with oaks. So you can start building that knowledge. Mushrooms are notoriously morphologically diverse, right? We cannot actually rely on the way it looks a lot of times. Like sometimes a mushroom will not look like what it's supposed to and what it's described in the mushroom guidebook. And so the only way, like if you just find one and it doesn't look like the way it's supposed to, but you think it's that, well, you might be right that it's, you know, I don't know. Uh, what could we use? Let's say that it could be a, 
Oh, it's like a good example that has like lots of lookalike. Let's say like the dryad saddle. So that's a polypore. Um, or or let's use let's use chicken of the woods because there are some potential lookalikes. So some chicken of the woods can actually grow at the base of the tree. It's a different species mm -hmm. called a Taporus cincinnatus. But there are multiple polypores that grow at the bases of, of those trees. And so the more you see that mushroom that you're trying to eat, like the more variety you will see, like morphologically. And, and then you mm. will start to see like, oh, yeah, it always grows on like a barkless tree or usually on a barkless tree. So if you find something else that looks like that, but it's kind oh, yeah. of out of place. Mm -hmm. It can help you sort of question that. And so if you're alone, take photographs, uh, like, you know, one in context of the environment and then document the features of the mushroom. So the underside, the cap, the surface, uh, multiple specimens, like young, old, um, in one photograph where it shows like the gills and the caps and the shape. And mm -hmm. so document the mushroom. And I would say, you know, either post it on some, you know, mushroom uh, Facebook group that allows you to do this for those purposes, because some groups do not let you do that. But actually, a better place to upload it is to iNaturalist, which is a great resource. Um, I document my finds there and I keep my species list there. So, you know, the, the app uses an algorithm to sort of suggest based on the photo that you upload what that might be but then you can get that confirmed by citizen scientists and but it is only based on pictures you know it's it's limited so the better pictures you take the better chance you get at actual uh confirmation of of the identification but like i said the best thing is to join a local club or go on mushroom forays and learn with people in the specific context because that is the best way to learn and it's funner too right oh yeah absolutely. other people <laughs> yeah yeah no, I, was, I was thinking the same thing when i seen that you were so close by mm -hmm. and i was like man she's in pennsylvania that's like not far from me and i seen you're putting events on i don't know when your next one is but i was like i was gonna tell my wife i was gonna be like let's go up yeah and do her next event like when is your next um, walk, what do you so, call them? I, well, I call them guided mushroom walks. Um, you know, I think I might have that on my calendar. It's not out yet. Um, but I always post them on my Instagram account and, um, you know, the, I usually do them once a month. So oh, we okay. just had one this past weekend. So I think there's, you know, going to be one sometime like end of April, early oh, May. That, that'll be like morel time, right? Yeah, but you know, I don't have any like morel spots, so oh, you know, oh, it's kind of so like <laughs> that's another thing with these walks. You know, if you plan them like far enough in advance, you kind of can't really guarantee um, the finds oh, because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, mushrooms do what they want; can't really affect weather either. So, yeah. But there will be one coming up, um, coming up soon, uh, within a month for sure. Within a month, okay. Yeah, well, I'll keep an eye out. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. We'll just take a road trip. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know. But anyway, and then anyone else um, going, 
how do they, if they want to attend that, they can what, go to your website, you post it there. Yeah, so it's either on my website, fungiwoman.com, or you can search Eventbrite, like Fungi Woman Mushroom Walk. Um, it'll come up as well. And I also announce it on my Instagram account, which is Fungi Woman. And uh, yeah, sometimes I post it on Facebook too. Um, but mostly Instagram, my website, and Eventbrite. And if you sign up for my newsletter, I send it out as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> so anyone that's like thinking about maybe they've never been mushroom hunting, but it sounds cool. It sounds like a good idea. Like what, what do you, what do you like about it? Like what, cause you do this obviously way more than um, mm -hmm. most people cause you enjoy it. Like, what do you find that you enjoy the most out of mm -hmm being with mushrooms and doing all these things that you do, like what's your big, what's the best part of it for you? So I think mushroom hunting or, you know, mushroom foraging, however you want to want to refer to that activity. I think there's like three separate kind of parts to it. Like it's either a family affair. So it's kind of like reconnecting with your family roots and like a family comes together. So like, we have relatives in the Czech Republic that will come down south um, from, you know, they live up north and they will come down south and we will go mushroom foraging together. And everybody just like will bring a basket and then you sort of spend time with family because you have to clean the mushrooms. So first you're in the woods together, right? Looking for those mushrooms. So you're kind of building family connections through that. But then you also have to have to like clean and process the mushrooms or you cook with the mushrooms. And then the end of that is this beautiful meal that everybody contributed to and it came from your land and, you know, it was cooked with love. And it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. This like mm. activity is, it's wow. sort of almost like a whole, you know. It's like, it's almost like a bonding experience. It is. Like it whole, is. It's more than just going out and getting the mushroom and eating it. It's the whole, part, it's the whole process. Yeah. And the yeah. relationships and walking in nature. Right. And like you said, what'd you call it? I love the, what you call it, forest bathing or yeah. nature bathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a Japanese uh, practice. Yeah. Uh, and then when, so when you go foraging, is it like a couple hour event or is it like an all day event or like, how's that? Yeah, like? So, so, so mushroom foraging. So, so one, it's like a family affair, right? But two for me, so, so you family affair for me, it's always in the Czech Republic because um, my family is back home in the Czech Republic. So I do that there. Um, so, but here in Pennsylvania, um, mushroom foraging for me, it's either like a solo affair and a way to like de-stress, reset, like recharge my batteries, like quiet my brain and get that energy from nature and get grounded and just yeah. spend time with, you know, in the woods. Well, also create content for my Instagram and everything else, but <laughs> that's, yeah, that's just like a nice byproduct because, you know, photography, I love doing as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely become more than that. Now that I, you know, maintain a website, I have a community on Instagram, I'm writing a book. So it's, it's definitely becoming more and more, um, but I, I, I don't want it to become something I have to do. 
and something that kind of, you know, becomes a, a chore. Um, it's still at a level where it's enjoyable and because I love telling stories, I love educating people, I love packaging information, I love photography and all of that. So that's still mm -hmm. something I love to do. Um, and and then the third piece of that is it's it's a way to meet people and friends and like-minded people. So if you go on these like, you know, club organized mushroom forays or these mushroom events that are like basically literally popping up everywhere, like all these like festivals and and um, various uh, events, it's a great way to meet people like you and hang out and, and just um, connect and, and talk and learn as well. So, so there's kind of these like three facets to that and it just kind of depends what on the context of what you're doing, but mushroom foraging is kind of the thread that kind of ties it all together. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I get out of it. I, I just, you know, family connection, new friends, uh, having fun, or just solo, you know, solitude in the woods. Yeah, I love all that stuff. And, you know, like for me, I was hiking already, like I told you. And then once I discovered mushrooms, it's like it expanded on what I already loved, which mm -hmm. was being in nature, being grounded and all these things. And now there's like, it's like building on what I already love. And I think a lot of people could benefit more from that, you know, getting out in nature, if nothing else, just getting people out of their house into nature. If that's all we accomplished by mushroom hunting, then that was a win because that's like, people need that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, in the last sort of the most, I think sort of big, reason I think why I love uh, mushroom hunting and sort of educating people about mushrooms and mushroom foraging is because the minute you start caring about that, you start caring about your environment. You start yeah. caring about your local park. You start caring about this particular path or this tree that like you love the shape of, of or you like always stop underneath it to like, you know, eat, your snacks or whatever, or you love to go to this area because you know your favorite mushrooms grow there. Well, if we start doing that, mm -hmm. then we can help people protect the environment and think about that because, you know, protecting the environment is just such a, it's such a close issue, I think, for a lot of people, but it has to be on a personal level because otherwise it's this mm -hmm. unreachable, unsolvable kind of like we're already past that. And it's kind of like, what does it matter if I throw this plastic bottle in the regular trash versus the recycle bin? Mm -hmm. And it's it, it just it, you just kind of feel like you can't really make an impact on the larger issue. But if you can save a local park from being raised down for the nearest, you know, latest development, or if you can help expand a park, add some acreage to it, or if you can help go clean up the park because you're so sick of seeing the tires uh, every time you walk past that, that's how we do it. That's how we create personal connections and create something that people can do that's within their power and they see the impact it has on the environment around them. You know, not some 
lofty goals of we need to protect the environment. It's like, okay, but like how, um, and how, why do I matter? You know, why does it matter? Mm, so, I love that. Um, so creating those local connections and inspiring people to take action because of something they care about, um, I think is, that's how we do it. Yeah. Now that you say that, I can see that as a major part of this whole thing with foraging, because it does give you, it does make you aware more of your environment and nature and because mushrooms are nature mushrooms connect all nature together and when you start getting into mushrooms all of a sudden now you're like like you said you start to become more aware you get more of a personal relationship yeah with nature which does like you said it can have an impact um in general across the board on the environment so, yeah, I mean, it has local impact that gets translated into a larger impact because if everybody starts doing that, then yeah, then we can maybe reverse the, you know, the process a little bit. Yeah, totally. Um, well, cool, cool. So we're almost done. Um, we're almost out of time for today. But um, one thing I would like to ask you is, so like if someone's just starting out, mm -hmm. like with um, mushroom foraging or photography or um or cooking mushrooms they don't really know much about it um i know i know for you personally at least what i've seen um it seems like when you got when you started doing mushroom photography that kind of took you that kind of like catapulted you i think into the public eye right because yeah. you got a lot of followers on instagram right now when i go to your instagram yeah. It's filled with amazing photos of mushroom. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. Um, I actually got shadow banned um, because I was, you know, working with like a local mushroom company and to like give away growing kits, you know, and Instagram oh, really? took it down twice and for um, um, violating community guidelines, which is actually, mm -hmm. one of, it's a bigger problem for like the mushroom community on social media and especially on Instagram because somehow we get dinged for, you know, promoting drugs or um, things like that. But it's it's rough because then Instagram like limits, you know, who can see oh, yeah. your post and stuff. So yeah. it's, it's yeah, just, I'm very I'm very aware of those penalties yeah. on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> yeah, but for for people, you know, starting like getting interested in this, I say, just get out and do it. I mean, mm. go out into the woods and start noticing the mushrooms. Um, if that's what you're interested in, or if you're interested in photographing them, go out and start doing it. You don't need a fancy camera, um, mm. you know, or fancy equipment to, to get started. I mean, the iPhone is like so powerful now. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, what we can do with the iPhone. Sometimes do you, do, you, do you use your iPhone for your photos or do you use a different camera? No, I have a DSLR. I have a, you know, um, it Canon um, ADD and I just recently got like a macro lens because I, I wanted to get closer, but mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, for all my stories and videos and stuff, mm -hmm. I use my iPhone because it's, you know, it's fine. And you can yeah. do that too. You can start doing it too. And slowly you can, you know, add on certain tech onto your things. And for lighting, I just use cardboard covered in aluminum foil. 
it works great to reflect Ooh, okay. light for underneath the mushroom. Uh, great, cheap. Okay. You don't need any fancy lights or anything like that. It will do the job just fine. Kind of create these like little tents. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, so they can stand on their own. Like, and like you put the cardboard with the foil underneath the mushroom, so it reflects light up. Uh, or yeah. Do you, or do you put it? In well, the you like you know, like I mean, imagine this is the mushroom, and then okay. you know, this is the light. So you kind of position it this way. So that it can illuminate the gills or the underside or the stem oh. a little bit more. So you use a little light to shine up. You can too, yeah. But oh, the yeah. aluminum foil, if it's kind of sitting like this, right, um, yeah. and like a little tent, this side will reflect upon the mushroom. Oh, I see. So you got to. It's like an art form. You got to figure out where the lighting needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, of and course. we need to figure out how to get that lighting there, right? Yeah, yeah, and you'll see it. You'll see it just kind of by like positioning the the aluminum kind of tent um, where it goes. And so, yeah, I would just do that if you're, you know, starting to cook with mushrooms, but you don't know where to like find them. Plenty of um, like uh, um, what are those called? Like markets will have you know mushrooms like lion's mane or even uh hen of the woods or they will sell shiitake or you know oysters i mean oysters are one of the most delicious and also you know they have medicinal properties like well like most mushrooms mm -hmm. um so yeah don't don't just wait to like forage for the mushrooms like if you want to start cooking with mushrooms like just go to like a you know local grocery store they'll have some better ones other than just the button mushrooms, the agaricas, bisporus, um, and, or the portobellas. But, you know, those are good mushrooms too. And for foraging, unfortunately, that requires a lot of patience to keep sort of going to the same places, observing the seasons and, um, you know, observing the rain. Mushrooms will usually come up about, you know, seven to 10 days after plentiful rain. So, you know, observing the weather and, and returning to the same places at different times and over the years. And yeah, you'll learn. I mean, you know, I just recently found, let's see, I like accidentally stumbled upon tons of chanterelles, like maybe in 2019. I wasn't even looking for them, but I just stumbled upon them. And um, I was like, great, now I have this like awesome spot for chanterelles. Well, I came back mm -hmm. next year and you know, it's kind of like, murr, murr. like, uh, you know, it wasn't really much there. So <laughs> it, <laughs> constantly got to keep going back to the woods, new spots and be patient. And, you know, eventually over time you will observe the patterns and you will kind of start to, maybe the mushrooms will start whispering to you. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I mean, they're always whispering, but right, right. Yeah. Um, well, cool, cool. Yeah. The, uh, this has been great so far. Um, oh. I appreciate your time today yeah. coming on and sharing all this really good information. Um, again, I love your photography that you take and yeah. where do you, where do you see all this going for you? Like where, where are you trying to take, because you've obviously hit like a vein with 
people's interest in mm -hmm. these like the photography that you're doing it's so wh yeah. what do you where do you see this going like oh, moving forward yeah i you know i think it would be amazing to be able to be a full-time myco educator and you mm -hmm. know travel the world take photos of mushrooms educate people about mushrooms and write about mushrooms and learn about mushrooms i mean that's you know dream come true um for sure uh i i don't have a concrete plan on how to do that yet i mean right now i'm sort of spending all my energy on writing the book which i think is a huge milestone for me and um hopefully you know that will that will kickstart certain things for me. I mean, I love talking to people. I love educating people. I love hearing their stories. So finding ways how I can do that more, I think is, is going to be the way to go and just, you know, traveling the world and seeing the mushrooms there. That would be, that would be my dream. Awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. That's, I'd love to do that as well. Yeah. I love to so if that gave me a reason to travel, I would do it too. I know. I know. Same, 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 same. Well, cool. Um, did you want to take a couple questions? I know there's a lot of people on right now that would have, yeah. that would probably have a question. Yeah. Um, cool, cool. Well, if anyone listening right now, since how you're live, if you have any questions at all for um, Barbara, whether it's related to anything about what she's doing or mushroom hunting yeah. photography with mushrooms or cooking with mushrooms yeah. um go ahead and put a comment in right um wherever you're watching this at mm -hmm. and um they're either watching on youtube or facebook so if you're on either one of those post in the comments <clears throat> and we will um bring it up here and we'll answer the question um let's see if anyone pops up with a question it's normally like a delay so People may have already asked questions. Yeah, I switched to the comments here. Um, there's a uh, my IG address. It's Fungi Woman. Um, so F U N G I W O M A N. Here, I'll type it in. Is what it, it cheaper to buy canned mushrooms or fresh mushrooms or found mushrooms? Oops. Well, so of course, I would not recommend canned mushrooms. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think the only time I ate canned mushrooms was I think maybe on a pizza, but those do not do it justice at all. Um, please, please, please buy fresh mushrooms from the grocery store or some markets and try like just roasting them or sauteing them. It's going to be a whole different taste and experience. And in terms of safety, uh, of course, like buying cultivated mushrooms uh, from a market or the grocery store, it's always going to be safer uh, than when you're eating mushrooms that are foraged, that you foraged uh, or somebody else foraged um, in the forest. But it all depends on the type of mushrooms also. But of course, misidentification can happen. But uh, that misidentification cannot happen when you're cultivating mushrooms um, for food. So, mm. 
How about, do you have any recipes for a book? Yeah, there will be recipes in my book. Um, yeah, so that book, but that book won't be out until 2024, right? Yeah. So what, what, is there anywhere they can go in the meantime to see your recipes? Yeah, there, uh, I have some recipes on my website. So fungiwoman.com. There's uh, there's recipes um, there. You can also access them through my Instagram. Um, if you kind of click on the link in my bio or there's like a highlight reel as well with That's sort of links um, too. Um, here's a good one. Is it better to dry or freeze chanterelles? So chanterelles are best. Uh, it depends which ones. So for example, golden chanterelles are not good when you freeze them fresh but you can freeze any mushroom if you just saute them first and then you can freeze them most mushrooms will be just fine with that um also golden chanterelles are not good for drying but for example the yellow foots the yellow foot chanterelles or black trumpets which are also chanterelles actually get more flavorful if you dry them um, but I would not, um, freeze, freezing fresh mushrooms is usually not recommended. It only works with a handful of mushrooms. So usually saute them, uh, and then freeze them. Or you can also can them. That's what I do. That's what we've done in my family for the longest time. You just, you know, put them in glass jars, mason jars, and then you uh, pressure cook them, and then they will stay mm. good for years. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. You pressure cook them in a mason jar. Like yeah. the dry mushroom or the actual fresh mushroom? The sauteed mushroom. So oh, you, the sauteed saute, mushroom. you saute them in, like, fat, um, okay. and then... You put them into mason jars, you close it, mm -hmm. and then you completely cover it in a water bath, right? And uh, you put them in a pot with like a cloth so that they don't like clink or they don't break. And then right. you pour water over it uh, and then you boil them for like maybe an hour. And then you can do it one more time just to be sure. And uh, then okay. you flip them over and then it, it's just sealed and they will be good for, for many years. Like, wow. So you could have sauteed mushrooms. You don't even have to freeze them. No. Or dry them. You can just saute your mushrooms, put them in a mason jar, pressure cook it, and that'll stay good for a couple of years. That's impressive. I never knew that. That's really cool. Yep. Awesome. Um, you mentioned cooking morels for 15 to 20 minutes. Does that include those from the grocery store? Um, yeah. Yeah. If you buy morels from the grocery store, which that's going to be a really good grocery store if they have morels. Um, yeah, I would say definitely cook them for, for enough time. Yep. Um, here's a good one. Are there any ways to field test whether it's poisonous or not? So... Unfortunately, there really isn't a like one rule of thumb that can tell you if a mushroom is poisonous or not. So, you know, earlier we talked about how all the mushroom guides would say, like, if it has red pores and it stains blue, it's poisonous. 
Well, or have, have you have you heard this one? Like I get this one a lot. You take a quarter or a dime or something, well, and you boil. And if the dime doesn't tarnish or something, then it's <laughs> then it's safe. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that. No, all of these are myths, and they are not true. And there really isn't like a one sure way to tell whether it's poisonous or not. However, like a field test. So, so you can identify mushrooms on sort of like five different levels, right? Um, and I'm actually writing about this in my book, but um, the first one is based on morphology. So what does the mushroom look like? Where does it grow? Um, things like that. Um, so, I mean, that is your, that can, technically be considered a field test, right? You observe the mushroom where it's growing and you kind of look at, you observe its characteristics. And then you have to know which mushrooms are poisonous or not. Um, and then if if that mushroom has those characteristics to like confirm with like, if you think this is an Amanita phylloides and the mushroom has that chalice of death like that, you know, um, or it has those specific like streaks on the cap or it has, you know, patches, like each mushroom will have a specific set of morphology, morphology to be able to tell like which one it is, right? So, so do that, observe in the field. You can also take a spore print um, that will tell you the color. So sometimes that is a good field test if you have two lookalikes. Um, for example, the spore print is a great field test to tell a bluet or a, a wood bluet, a Lepista nuda, from a poisonous Cortinaria species, because we have those like violet Cortinarias that may look like wood bluets, but for but Cortinarias will always have orange spore print, whereas Lepista nuda has like I think a pinkish or white spore print. So that is a good field test if you have enough time in the field to do a spore print, though. Um, or well, maybe, maybe it dropped its spores and you can yeah, see it yeah. on the ground. That can sometimes happen for sure. Or a good field test. I mean, if you have, uh, you know, if you want to do chemical reactions, there are sort of three chemicals you can kind of carry with you. And if you like drop a little on the mushroom cap or on the pore surface, um, if there is a known chemical reaction, like a color change uh, or like a flash of color and then it fades into something else, that can be a quick field test to uh. test for like a specific ID. But, but it always comes down to no. So all of these things are true for any identifications, whether it's edible or poisonous. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So it's complicated <laughs> to yeah. get a test. Like, I don't think I don't think I know anyone who's ever accurately identified a mushroom. <laughs> but they all eat them. They all eat them, but they've never accurately identified. Well, that, that's not good. Um, I, one of the one of the things that I definitely want to say before we end this is, if you're going into the woods and you're trying to start to mushroom um hunt for food you have to know your poisonous ones mm. that's like that's the yeah. first thing you do forget about the edible ones forget about everything else you right. need to learn how to recognize the poisonous mushrooms mm. that like in your area 
That is that is rule number one. Because then if you know those very well, and there's not that many that are like toxic, you know, like they're gonna end up on a kidney transplant list. Um, mm -hmm. There's not that many of them. Right. So learn those. And then that sets you up fairly well for the rest of it. Um, because then you won't die. I mean, you might spend the night on the toilet, but you won't die. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And <laughs> yeah. you know, and you know, it, like you said, if you learn the lookalikes, if you find the mushroom and then you know all the look, that's what I did. Like when I first started looking at mushrooms, I was like, okay, I seen this mushroom. What's all the poisonous lookalikes of that mushroom? And learn those, right? And I'm like, and that helps you narrow it down because you know, well, it's definitely not that poisonous one because that one's got like violet hairs on it or whatever. It's definitely not that one. And it yep. helps you kind of narrow it down. Exactly. Right? That's a great exactly. tip. I love it. That's exactly why you need to know the poisonous ones because you can sort of eliminate them and then you can go from there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, shoot. I think that that's pretty good, Barbara. Yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate taking the time to answer some questions and yeah. joining me today. I mean, this has been a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, this is a really important topic because I do a lot of forage hunting. Yeah. I mean, for mushroom foraging, and um, I want to get more into it myself. So, and I'm sure, especially this day and age, and it's spring. Like, this is a great time to do this podcast because yeah. to go out and do all these things. So, it's, it's yeah. awesome. So, yeah. again, thanks so much. And just one last is there anything you want to say to every, anybody before we close out for today? Um, just thanks everyone for coming and for, uh, you know, wanting to learn about mushrooms. I wish you good luck and lots of patience with mushroom foraging because it's absolutely needed. And yeah, if you have any questions or you have any follow-up comments or anything like that, um, feel free to contact me on Instagram or through my website. There's a contact form. It'll come to my email. It might take a minute for me to get back to you, but I promise I will. And yeah, check out my website, follow me on Instagram. Um, that's you know all I can ask for and, and go into the woods. And that website again is fungiwoman, right? .com. Fungiwoman.com. Yeah. And you're on Instagram as fungiwoman. Yes. As well. So that's yes. how they can find you. Just search for fungiwoman. One Absolutely. word. One word, all lowercase, fungi woman. That's me. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much. Thanks everyone for joining us live today and being a part of this. We really appreciate it. Um, but other than that, um, thanks so much, Barbara. And you might see me in next month. I might all right. Sounds great. Joining you on your walkabout. <laughs> so. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, so thank you. Thank you. And yeah, talk to you all later. All right, thanks, bye. Bye. All right, so if you wanna know how curative mushrooms is helping sad people to improve their mental health by growing happy mushrooms at home using an all-in-one simple growing system that doesn't require any complicated instructions or expensive equipment, then head over to curativemushrooms.com.